We are back with another episode of Underrated. It's our first episode of uh, 2023. Welcome to 2023, Bo. Yeah, welcome to 2023. We, uh, it seems like forever, but yeah, it yeah, hasn't we, been. <laughs> yeah, we took one week off, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a nice little break. So yeah. Great to be back for another year. How's your new year been treating you? So far, so good. Nothing too um, exciting, but nothing also bad. So I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's uh, it's about the most you can ask for these days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot going on in the soccer world today. You know, as we speak, the 2023 NWSL draft is underway. I don't oh. know if you've been following this. No, I have not. Yeah, unsurprisingly... Alyssa Thompson was selected first overall. Thompson only turned 18 in November. Has been capped by the U.S. Women's National Senior Team twice already. And is foregoing college in order to play professionally in the United States. She joins some other recent young stars in Jaden Shaw and Olivia Moultrie as players who have passed on college to join the NWSL. How do you feel about this, this trend in women's soccer in the U.S.? Are you excited by all of this young American talent? Always. Uh, no matter what sport it is uh, and uh, what side we're talking about, mm, I love it. And I think uh, I think it's uh, it's probably going to become a little bit more common for us to see, uh, you know, players going pro as soon as possible. I just yeah. think now it's so much easier to market yourself as an athlete, as we all know, with, uh, you know, hey, you know, e- even though with the existence of uh, NIL deals and things like that, I think that... Um, you know, uh, all the free marketing that's out there. And uh, I think it makes things a hell of a lot easier to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And soccer, in the United States anyway, is a very unique sport in the way it's positioned, you know? Like, the the, the biggest thing that you can do is play for the national team. And uh, that doesn't really exist in other American sports. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I think a lot of... Uh, a lot of pride comes with that too, as well. I mean, that's a massive stage to put yourself on, uh, even just to have your name on a roster, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that is a big deal. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And I think just as you as you spoke about all that all that publicity, it's super easy to get some of that nil money if you're a, a top talent. But uh, the pool for that money is a little little smaller outside of you know football and basketball. So uh, I think soccer definitely specifically um it's pretty different in that regard for sure for sure like i said i i love uh, the state that uh, you know with even with all the negative publicity that's going on and happening around the nwsl i you know um we've talked about this before you know the main issues and the main victims here are always going to be the players um that's how this works and this is what's going to happen so any positive uh uh, publicity and any positive things going on, you know, uh, around and surrounding this league is, is, is good for it right now. Yeah, yeah. And while I don't think there was really ever a question whether Thompson would, you know, join the NWSL, it is a good reminder that it's still an attractive option to players. Players still want to play in that league. Right. Um, because, you know, I, I'm very certain that she could have played anywhere in Europe, but, uh, you know, decided to stay in the NWSL. They don't have the highest salaries, but it's still an attractive, uh, attractive option for players around the world. Sure. And was that was that Stanford was uh, was the uh, was the school she was going to attend? 
I believe so. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they've been such a women's soccer powerhouse last, you know, decade. But uh, yeah, so that's that's a big, uh, big school to turn down. At Definitely. Least in, the, in the world of women's soccer. I mean, academically, too, but uh, <laughs> when it comes to soccer. Right. Well, uh, I I think we'll I think we're seeing a future star here. So um, you know, uh, keep our eyes out for. Her. Yeah, yeah, but you know we're also in the middle of the January transfer period in most soccer around the world, and uh, you know one of the biggest names we've seen on the move is uh, Jao Felix joining Chelsea on loan potentially permanently, uh, just a few days ago. Uh, don't know if you watched this game, but uh, Felix made his. Chelsea debut today, uh, made some really good passes, uh, excited fans, uh, and, uh, you know, was awarded a straight red card for a horrible tackle that will likely end up with a two to three game suspension <laughs> as, uh, you know, Chelsea lost to Fulham. Chelsea currently yeah. sit 10th on the table and look incredibly out of sorts. Do you think there's any path back to the top for Chelsea this season and coach Graham Potter? Oh, that's a tough one. Just looking at, uh, I mean, take for instance, you know, Fulham. I mean, I feel like the top five are pretty locked in at this point. You know, with uh, we have we have Arsenal, uh, Man City, uh, Newcastle, obviously, uh, Man United. Uh, is it Tottenham? Is 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 that Tottenham runs up? Yeah, Tottenham's fifth. Uh, you know, but they are a game up on uh, on Liverpool, so. You know, Liverpool's right there. They're they're five points back, but uh, there's uh, you know Tottenham's played an extra game, so right, still still right. some stuff up in the air there. Definitely, definitely. I think it'll it it'll be fun. Right in that uh, you know um, sort of uh, six through ten you know rank. I I think things are going to get a little fun here. Your Brentford clubs in there. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. They're going to keep things interesting there with you know Brighton and uh, you know Liverpool and whatnot. Um, I don't think you know teams like Aston Villa or Crystal Palace are going to scare anybody but um, you know like I said I I, I think uh, that's a, a really fun part of uh, you know this second half yeah 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 so do you think uh, do you think Chelsea will will sack Potter when he's not even been there you know I mean he joined after the season started he's a he's a fresh face there I Man, you know, it's it's really hard to say. I think it all depends on how the second, you know, the rest of the season goes here. But I, I think most importantly, it's it's how the players respond. You know, I think uh, sometimes a small sample size, you know, isn't really a good reflection of, of management in a lot of ways. And uh, I think maybe if, uh, as far as ownership goes, if you know, if there's a good player response, the clubhouse is healthy and. Uh, people are buying into you know uh, the message there there's a possibility but you know it, it's it's points at the end of the year right yeah so yeah. it's it it'll be interesting yeah yeah it, it'll be an interesting team to watch um but uh, they they definitely don't look like a, a top club at the moment not at all no not at all this has been a really surprising uh disappointing season so far i mean we'll call it what it is right for yeah, Chelsea. yeah it's been a it's been a weird a weird you know just calendar year for them with uh the the forced takeover the sale um you know all of the the management issues it's been it's yeah. been a weird year in uh, the london Definitely. suburbs 
Yeah, definitely. And I mean, when when you've only won twice in the last 10 matches, I mean, that's always going to put you under the microscope. I mean, we're talking about a massive club, you know, what's considered to be a super team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll... Yeah, it'll be a tough one for Potter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, maybe the worst thing to happen to them is that their their backup left wing, Christian Pulisic, is out. <laughs> That's correct. He is. Yeah, you know, uh, could, it could be rough. But, yeah, it's hard uh, to it's it's hard to replace a, a presence like that in a lineup. So yeah, um, this that might just you know yeah, yeah. Add a little bit more fuel to that fire. Yeah, I don't know who's going to cover those twenty minutes a game, but yeah, uh, but it'd be interesting to watch. To figure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, kind of kind of shifting gears here. You know, when we last spoke, the Carlos Correa situation had ended. He was set to join the New York Mets on a monster deal. Yeah. In the last two weeks, the deal seemingly <laughs> fell apart due to the same health concerns that the Giants had. And uh, Correa has now been announced on a shorter, cheaper deal with the Minnesota Twins. What do you make of this affair? Are you happy to see it all end? I'm happy. If, if this is the end of it, yeah, I'm happy to see <laughs> it. And uh, I, I hope this is the end of it because uh, what a wild ride, right? We're talking the last four weeks three different teams i mean he's done a full tour of the u.s you know from coast to coast um for him to end up right back where he started is just uh, a complete head scratcher you know i i don't think anybody would have thought this but um yeah i i i feel like more of the headlines are okay he just said well, i mean what is it for uh 200 million or something like that i, I yeah, can't remember yeah. what this still is still for. an absurd amount of money but uh a lot of a lot of money, but I feel I feel like so many uh, teams are like, well, had we known, we would have been in the game as well for for two hundred million. So uh, yeah, you know, this has been a circus, man, and it, there's been so much gray area because no one had really really spoke, you know, in the past few weeks really about what these major concerns were. But I haven't seen anything like this before. Uh, this is a this is a brand new one for you know this this will go in the history books for for yeah uh, you know off season uh, free agency. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty weird situation all around. But uh, that said, let, let's dive into some potentially underrated folks. Is there somebody you wanted to talk about today, Bo? Yeah, definitely. You know, Lefty, uh, a few weeks back, you and I were texting. And I told you about. You know, thinking back on a Houston Rockets game I attended in the early 2000s. And, you know, I was blown away because it was a game where Tracy McGrady was playing amazing. Yao Ming was on the court. He was dominating. And, you know, Dikembe Mutombo was actually on the bench. Uh, I believe he was hurt at that point. And this is, you know, towards the end of his career, right? Um, now you look at three players, you know, who were obviously huge names for the for the NBA. But just historic levels of talent on a, on a roster at one time. And, it got me thinking, you know, specifically about Ming and Matumbo, about some of the best centers in the game's history. So, of course, I'm thinking Kareem, Shaq, Will, Lajuan, but I, there's a name that gets consistently left out of conversations for a variety of reasons. And, you know, in my opinion, we're talking about one of probably the best big men in the history of the game, I mean, internationally. And, you know, today I hope to reverse that trend somewhat when it comes to this athlete I'm going to discuss. 
Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Lithuania's uh, Arvidas Sabonis. Oh, Sabonis. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> you know, you and I have talked about a few athletes that have decorated careers internationally and then have made their debut in the States later on in life. You know, we, we love to think of the what could have been factor. So, you know, the story is no different. You know, in 1985, the Atlanta Hawks actually uh, made the seven foot three Sabonis the, the 77th overall pick in the NBA draft. But that selection actually ended up being voided because Sabonis was only 20 years old at the time. Um, you know, and after that voided draft pick, he suffered a pretty devastating Achilles tendon injury. And this would go on to affect his career. You know, uh, this was a domino effect. But still, the, the following year, the Trailblazers selected Sabonis 24th overall in the 1986 NBA draft. But Soviet authorities would not allow Sabonis to play in the U.S. So he actually returned back to Lithuania to just continue uh, rehabilitation and his career. So that's kind of where we're going to start. You know, Sabonis had a decorated international career between 1981 and 1995. He won three consecutive Soviet Premier League titles, the 1986 FIBA Club World Cup, two Spanish League titles, and the FIBA European League title. You know, uh, as far as personal achievements go, he was a two-time Mr. Europa Player of the Year, four-time Lithuanian Sportsman of the Year, uh, Eurobasket MVP, two-time Spanish League MVP, the list goes on. And it, this all takes us to 1995. So Savonis contacts the Trailblazers about a move to the NBA. Knowing his history, Bob Witsit, then Portland GM, asks for extensive x-rays and a physical, and we can just say it didn't go very well. It was, it, a, it was a Carlos Correa situation. The Carlos Correa situation, exactly. And it was the, the first look at how some catastrophic leg injuries had already impacted his body. But still, Portland signed him, and at age 30, he made his debut in the NBA. You know, his rookie season, he averaged 14.5 points and 8.1 rebounds, which got him all-rookie first team and runner-up in the Rookie of the Year voting as well as six-man of the year voting. You know, during the playoffs that year, he averaged nearly 24 points per game and over 10 rebounds. And that's not too bad for a 31-year-old rookie that was literally limping up and down the court, you know? Yeah, not too shabby at all. So keep that in mind. At this point, due to injury, Sabonis essentially is playing on one stable leg. The Trailblazers made the playoffs seven times in eight seasons to follow, but only made it as far as the Western Conference Finals. You know, over his NBA career, he averaged 12 points per game, 7.3 rebounds, and 2.1 assists. He didn't come away with a championship like he had done in, you know, overseas. But the question we like to ask is, is what could have been? You know, Clyde Drexler stated that if Prime Sabonis were on his Trailblazers teams, they would have come away with five or six titles. Kevin Garnett he said that Savonis was the player who, quote, let Americans know they weren't the only ones who could hoop. 
Bill Walton, with all the jargon that comes out of his mouth, describes Sabonis <laughs> as a seven foot three Larry Bird. If you go back and you watch Prime Sabonis overseas, you see someone with unique court vision, high basketball IQ, deep range, elite athlete uh, athleticism. You know, he could shoot threes and he was really unguardable, you know, in the post. But the United States never got to see Prime Sabonis. You know, what we did see was really a competitive big man and great center, but nothing like we had witnessed before. Now, hey, we do get to see his son, DeMontis Sabonis, who's having another outstanding season in the NBA so far. Uh, you know, another awesome player to watch. Very, you know, super talented. But with that being said, Lefty, you think like a lot of these international players we've seen in the past that, you know, Sabonis should be judged on his performance solely here in the U.S.? I mean, because that's all fans were able to see, but... I mean, do you think it's pretty clear that his legacy is underrated and, you know, maybe it should be talked about more or is, does it kind of, you know, fit the sample size? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, you know, absolutely underrated. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, this kind of harkens back to two different com conversations. Um, you know, one is that FIBA identity of basketball. We've talked yeah. about this before, mm -hmm. but the the mindset and philosophy of basketball is is more holistic in european basketball and that most players can play a variety of positions and are pretty flexible in that regard um and you know sabonis was one of the first examples the united states had of of a player who had that type of flexibility obviously sure. that's very common in the in the modern game but uh you know he, he was one of the first players of that of that type of that ilk that uh many americans were exposed to but yeah. uh, an, an, another conversation that we've had um maybe on the podcast maybe not but uh is the role of geopolitics in 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 the way that athletes you know follow their career we see this a lot in in baseball specifically um but but never in basketball this is probably one of the few instances in which you know a, a geopolitical conflict between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, right? You know, totally changed the trajectory of an athlete's career. We see this a lot with uh, you know players from Cuba um, and things of that regard. But you know, it's it's a pretty interesting situation that is pretty unique and and across basketball because even even a few decades before when we talked about uh, you know Krasimir Chosic, who you know also was under the Soviet umbrella was totally allowed to come play college basketball in the U.S. and, and could have played professionally if he chose to. Sure. But, yeah. uh, you know, relations had changed in such a way in the, in the you know, following two decades that uh, that wasn't a reality for Sabonis. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely should be judged by, you know, the breadth of his work, uh, even, even a decade outside of the U.S. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, typical, you know, just a, a casualty of, like you said, global politics and socialism. You know, um, I think the argument on my side is always, um, even as what we'll call relatively an old man in the NBA, he was still challenging uh, 1990 Shaq, right, on the yeah, court. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was still super competitive. Um, 
and playing injured, constantly playing injured. There was no coming back. You know, just all you have to do is go back and and and, and watch some of the video. Um, I, I can't remember who it was who stated uh, a famous commentator that Sabonis looked like he was just always running around in cement sneakers because of just the state of his body at that point. Um, you know, again, uh, what does it change here? You know, obviously, um, if you're talking internationally and you're talking about the game of basketball, there's always going to be kind of a torn discussion of the, the talent pool overseas versus the talent pool in the U.S., right? So um, I, I think there's a lot of arguments saying, well, you know, he could have been great, but, you know, there were some great NBA players and there were some dominant centers at that time. Um, I think in this case, um, I think we would be talking about one of the top five centers in the history of the game. I mean, single-handedly, probably he might be the greatest player in Soviet history if, if, if you're really looking at it, you know, closely. So um, I, 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 we see guys like, uh, you know, um, Vladi Divac, who we, we were able to see, you know, in, in, in his prime and, and things like that. We never got to see that, you know, and uh, he really held together teams, uh, yes, that were successful, uh, but um, there's just a lot of missed talent there, you know, for the, the American, North American audience. And uh, I think uh, even though we have to ask the question, what could have been, we, we saw some pretty good years out of Sabonis, you know, for a man with uh, significant uh, injury issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think on the, on the converse, right? Uh, American audience missed out on a lot of incredibly high quality European basketball of the time, right? That was a, a you know, I agree. Um, the late eighties kind of ended a, you know, probably two decade run of some of the best basketball in the world happening there in Eastern Europe, whether it be in the Soviet Union proper or Yugoslavia. Um, sure. Some of, some of the best basketball, you know, literally anywhere in the world. So, um, you know, uh, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a low quality league at the time, you know, basketball right. that was happening in Europe was, you know, pretty close to what was happening in the U S so, so definitely, uh, you know, something to, to acknowledge and something that, you know, the American audience also missed out on in a different way. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even after the iron curtain was lifted there and the, uh, at the end of the eighties and whatnot, you know, he was still over there for, you know, a, a few more years. We're talking, you know, five, six more years of, you know, um, what we could have seen here overseas. But, you know, uh, great athlete. I, I, I definitely don't think that uh, his name's brought up enough. And uh, I, I, I'd love to hear more of this uh, conversation, you know, uh, when the, we talk about the all-time great centers. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we are back um, after a quick break, uh, after that uh, riveting conversation about uh, Sabonis Sr. <laughs> Sabonis, yeah. <laughs> Sabonis Sr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So somebody else I wanted to discuss today, uh, probably a... Uh, uh, not the most creative pick, but uh, something a little topical and somebody that uh, I think deserves a bit of a deeper dive. Sure. You know, so when I was ill a month or so ago, we did that special on our personal baseball Hall of Fame ballots. Yeah. You know, today I wanted to dive a bit deeper into one of the players we discussed. This is not the inevitable Mark Burley episode. Oh. 
thought it was coming. Yeah, not yet, not yet. Instead, <laughs> I wanted to talk about one of the most underrated players on the current ballot. Someone that didn't fit the traditional profile of their position, and someone that looks as if they'll again miss the mark in terms of Hall of Fame voting. Today, I wanted to talk about former right fielder Bobby Abreu. Bobby Abreu. Yeah, so after signing with the Houston Astros at 16 out of Venezuela, Abreu spent six seasons fighting his way through the Astros farm system before finally being called up for a brief stint in 1996. You know, despite that top prospect billing, uh, Abreu only featured in 59 games that following season. And after the 1997 season, you know, you might remember, I don't, I was... It was a wee toddler, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Major League Baseball expanded from 28 teams to 30. That's right. And, Ab- and Abreu was selected by the Tampa Bay Vin Devil Rays with the sixth selection. Shortly afterwards, he was traded to the Phillies, where he'd make a, a much bigger name for himself. Kind of, kind of an aside, but do you remember much of that expansion draft? Is that something you followed? You know, uh, yeah, I think... Um... What was really uh, bigger, especially, you know, uh, being young at that time, was uh, everyone had been waiting for a while for some new jerseys, and for new, <laughs> some new merch to drop, and uh, some gotcha. cool-looking stuff. So that, that was kind of a big deal, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I bet. You know, so after that trade to Philly, Abreu quickly established himself in his first full season as a big leaguer in 1998 by leading the league in triples, racking up an OPS plus of 136, and walking nearly as many times as he struck out. You know, it'd take seven more seasons for Abreu to be named to his first All-Star team, Um, but 1998 marked the first of five consecutive seasons which Abreu had an OPS above 900 and an OPS plus that never dropped below that 136 mark. Yeah. You know, know, just just to contextualize, you know, OPS Plus is, you know, 100 is average. Every one above 100 is 1% better than the league average. So he was 36% or more better than the rest of the league for, you know, his first stretch there with, with the Phillies. That's right. So in the six seasons in Philadelphia before he was even selected to his first all-star team, Abreu accumulated an incredible 35 baseball reference wins above replacement. In six seasons, you know, in in a steroid era that you know of mammoth home runs and gaudy power numbers, Abreu accomplished this phenomenal production while only besting twenty five home runs in one season. You know, crazy. yeah, yeah. Well, Abreu was never you know a a Ricky Henderson or Kenny Lofton type, you know, that style of base runner. Abreu had more steals than home runs in every season of his career. You know, in, in 2004, Abreu was finally named to his first All-Star game during a season in which he won a silver slugger for right field. You know, the following that. season, Abreu won his only Gold Glove Award, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, shined in his second All-Star appearance. Uh, and despite, you know, really not being a power hitter, he won the 2005 Home Run Derby. That's right. You know, but that 2005 All-Star game would be his second and his last. You know, Abreu was traded to the Yankees the next season, where he played for, you know, two seasons. Good, not great. 
following that stint in the Bronx, uh, you know, Abreu would join the Angels in, in Anaheim, where he would spend the next three and a half seasons. Mm-hmm. While the end of his career was not all that memorable, during his time as a regular starter from 1998 to 2011, Abreu accumulated 60.8 BWAR, averaged 155 games per season, and had an OPS of 131. Sorry, an OPS plus. So, you know, over that that you know pretty extensive stretch, was you know one third better, 31 percent better than the average batter, and had more than you know 2,300 hits. Yeah. And and to contextualize just how adept at getting on base Bobby Abreu was. Let's compare him to Tony Gwynn, you know, a player that many folks consider to be one of the greatest players in that department. Definitely. You know, Bobby Abreu reached base 3,979 times, had 921 extra base hits, and stole 400 bases in uh, 2,425 games. Mm-hmm. In 2,440 games, that's 15 more games than Bobby Abreu, Tony Gwynn got on base 3,955 times. That's fewer times than Bobby Abreu. Had 763 extra base hits. Almost 200 fewer than Bobby Abreu. And stole 319 stolen bases. 80 fewer than Bobby Abreu. Abreu out-hit the player most people consider to be the greatest hitter ever. Yeah, absolutely. I like that comparison. You know, and, and and I think that Abreu's career production speaks for itself. But as he is likely to be kept out of the Hall of Fame, you know, yet again, it, it leads me to the question. Is Bobby Abreu underrated? Definitely Bobby Abreu is underrated. He's actually my first pick off of that ballot, you know, um, you know when we did our little special. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, I think there's 20-something right fielders in the Hall. And, you know, I remember when I was do, digging into this uh, – you know, the ballot, the Hall of Fame ballot. And I, I saw that his career war was higher than 10 or 11 Hall of Famers that are already in there. You know, um, I I like, you were talking about OPS Plus earlier. Let's kind of go back to that. You know, uh, just to talk about company, um, Bobby Abreu, Dave Winfield, Roberto Clemente, and Carl Yastrzemski all had almost a nearly identical mark as far as we're talking OPS plus and let's keep in mind that Abreu also had more steals than any of them he had more home runs than Clemente and yeah his defense may have not been up to uh you know that that same level but those guys flew right into the hall right yeah yeah definitely so and I mean and you know while his defense wasn't phenomenal it, uh, it also wasn't as as horrible as many of the other similar hitters of the era there were, you know, there were a number of great hitters that were just atrocious in the field. For sure, for sure. And you know, there's just there's all these other different statistics to back up. Why? Let's talk about uh, durability. From '98 through 2009, you know, Bobby Abreu played in more games than anybody else. Also during that time, there was a guy named Barry Bonds playing. Yeah. Number two in walks in that time period, Bobby Abreu. You know, you had Todd Helton out there, you know, hitting the crap out of the ball. You know, he was a doubles machine. Second in that time, Bobby Abreu, only to Todd Helton. 
I mean, there are all these different stats to show the durability and where he kind of sat. But, you know, you mentioned it when we kind of did our special and we kind of walked through a few things. I mean, his career essentially flew under the radar the in its entirety while yeah, it was happening, yeah. right? You know? Absolutely. Yeah, he was somebody that never really got that acknowledgement, kind of ever. That's that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that uh, I, I think that it was the idea that he because of who he was playing with at that time, um, there was this, an expectation of you were either dominant or you were going to, you know, kind of be out of the picture. And I think that's where, um, you know, this whole bubble player idea, you know, has come about because you you look at some of these crazy stats, but still, I mean, like we just talked about, I mean, you can say, well, Abreu never finished higher than seventh in, in, in the league in war. Um, and he only finished uh, maybe top 10 just a handful of times, but, you know, consistency does count. He may not be one of the best all time, but that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, while he wasn't the top of the league in wins above replacement, he he did, you know, put up that, those numbers. He, you know, produced that value in a way that would have produced that value in any era. You know, so many of the names at the top of those seasons did so in, um, you know, dubious ways. For, for, for sure. You know, largely steroids, right? Um, right. You know, I don't think that anybody is looking at Bobby Abreu as a as somebody who used steroids. I mean, I right. think I saw I think I saw a tweet that, uh, you know, joking about the fact that maybe he was the one guy to take steroids to you know walk more. But right. uh, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, his his production existed kind of outside of era in a way that uh, you know could be replicated regardless of when he played. Yeah. And also, I mean, think about some really bad Phillies teams that he played on, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, on, on top of that, if we're talking about traditionalists and we're talking about, you know, statistics and whatnot during the steroid area, okay, this is a guy who hit 306 times. He had eight 100 RBI seasons, 14 years with 10-plus steals. Those, those are all traditional stats. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's like, you know, I mean, I... I I, I see a lot of this and people are like, eh, you know, I don't know about Bobby Abreu. And for, you know, I, I, I think, you know, even for me, it's just, I mean, it's all there. It's all right there. You can, you can look at it from any angle, but you know, I'm, I'm giving Bobby Abreu love on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we like, I know circling back to a conversation we have all the time about players that don't, you know, exist in the correct era. You know, Bobby Abreu is another victim of playing in the incorrect era sure but, uh you know absolutely underrated and somebody that uh, i think definitely deserves a deeper look at the hall of fame uh and is definitely among the greatest left-handed hitters of all time and the greatest right fielders uh definitely you know, of all time i i've seen a few ballots where jimmy rollins is getting votes and bobby abreu isn't yeah, and yeah. It, you I know, I find that to be a little shocking, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I don't know <laughs> how that... for Phillies fans. <laughs> right? The only reason that Jimmy Rollins would get a vote is from, from, you know, a very serious Philadelphia homer. So it just really doesn't track in any way. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, one last thing is, you know, I got to say, 
I when during that era, I watched a lot of Vladimir Guerrero, um, just because of that cannon he had for an arm. Bobby yeah, Abreu yeah. also did. Bobby Abreu had just an absolute gun out there. I mean, he was strong. Now, again, defensively, he might not have been, you know, uh, anything to uh, write home about. But, man, um, he did have some success out there. And uh, I think there was a period of time where he let all outfielders uh, in, in assists and in outfield assists. And, and I think that was over that same 11, 10, 11-year period Yeah, as well. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely a underrated player. Um, among two underrated players, I think we both agree that that both of our our subjects today were underrated. Uh, absolutely. But let's, let's let's pivot to the the modern day. Um, you know, we got the NFL playoffs starting very shortly. Are you excited to watch your Bills? Yeah, I think uh, you know it's been a wild couple weeks for this team, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, a lot's happened. You know, obviously we, we, we've seen everything uh, that's ter- transpired here and we, you know, we don't need to jump into too much of the DeMar Hamlin situation. But, uh, you know, um, a crazy turn of events, especially with the number one seed and, you know, canceling a game. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, which needed to happen. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a shame that it took as long as it did to make that decision. While things were transpiring, but you know, again, uh, we were talking socialism earlier in the Soviet. It exists today in the NFL, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I am looking forward to this uh, this wild card round. I, I feel like um, I, there's some that are, there's some games that have already been decided, right? I mean, the Ravens are going out. They're they're in Cincinnati here um, this weekend without Lamar Jackson. Yeah, uh, how this team team's been able to compete all season is beyond me. Um, without Lamar, but they have somehow. So um, you know, I don't know if they can compete against the Bengals. I don't think they have a chance. You know, so it seems to be a lock there. Um, I think the Bills are going to destroy the Dolphins. Uh, you know, um, it's not like <laughs> you know, two two is not going to be out there uh, either. He he's out. Um, he's dealing with a million injuries as many players are in this game. So. You know he's out, so it it'll definitely be interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a uh, be interesting. Um, did you see the big the biggest Bills news uh, ahead of this wild card matchup? That they activated Cole Beasley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How did I know? <laughs> yeah, you've been, you've been reading Fox News. Yeah, that's what it is. This is a. You know, I, I I was shocked about that whole situation. You know, when his departure was was really not good. It wasn't good with the fan base, and it wasn't good with the team. And uh, he didn't have any good things to say, you know, over his own decisions. Now, I don't know where we're at on this now. Nobody's ever disclosed if he's ever gotten vaccinated or what the situation is. But, um, you know, like I said, he's been out there. Um <sighs> I don't know what he's got left in the tank there. I, I just don't see what uh, he brings to the team. So, um, well, he, he would he be the only one with a with a rap album? Yeah, yeah, shockingly, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. So, I mean, he does bring uh, some music to the squad. Yeah, yeah, that I'm sure that'll help them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's really it's a it's it, it the whole situation itself is so goofy you know it was it was a shock that they were 
even going to bring him back. Um, but again, it's a team decimated by injuries. I still think there were probably other choices there, but uh, you know, he's he's up off the couch. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, were you uh, were you surprised to see the the Seahawks make the playoffs? Yeah, I I mean I was surprised at Geno Smith's entire season, and uh, I mean, well the the Seahawks as a whole. Like, let's not yeah. forget about Kenneth Walker the third. You know, uh, DK Metcalf still caught. You know, he had thousand yards receiving. You know, uh, that's good. That's a tough matchup. I, I know Pete Carroll in a, in a press conference has already said, unfortunately, we're facing the 49ers and they're fully healthy, so that's going to be a tough one. You know, uh, Brock Purdy has come out of a cornfield somewhere and he's just <laughs> been playing like an, an elite QB somehow. So, uh, yeah. The one game I will say that I think is going to be interesting is this Chargers Jaguars game. Yeah. And for for what? Yeah. And I gotta say, you know, Trevor Lawrence has looked like a legitimate quarterback the past few weeks, man. Uh, and it it's just it's shocking to say, but um, you know, I've always questioned um, some of the coaching. Uh, decisions over on the Chargers side especially uh, when it's important you know I I think Justin Herbert is one of the best QBs in the league and I think he's going to be you know like a a Dan Fouts type of player for a long time but yeah uh, yeah. I think I I don't know about uh, their coach uh, Staley's decision making over there I I feel like he tends to to make some bad decisions when it matters most so we'll uh, we'll see uh, that I'm looking at an upset there, though. Yeah, I, I yeah. think the Jaguars might take the Chargers. To be honest with you, you know, it, it's possible, but uh, you know, I, it's an interesting league, as you mentioned. the The Ravens, without a quarterback, have made the playoffs. Um, yeah. So it, it makes you question just how valuable quarterbacks are in the modern game. When are, are, is the quarterback position transitioning to to the running back? You know, back sure. in the day, we used to see the the, the workhorse running backs that would play for, you know, a decade and run for a thousand yards every year. But uh, as of late, they've become more interchangeable, expendable, sure. so to speak. Um, with the, you know, emergence of whoever Brock Purdy is, um, the Ravens making the playoffs without a real quarterback, is that position overrated? Is it, is it as important as it used to be? Yeah, you know, ah, man, it, it it really is tough, right? Especially when you're talking. And here's what I'll say: you take you if you look at the AFC quarterback situation, it is absolutely completely different than the NFC quarterback situation. But to your point, let's talk about a team like the New York Giants, a team with uh, a Daniel Jones, right? Yes, playing in a terrible. Uh, uh, you know, a, a terrible division, you know, with some not that great teams, but still in all with a Saquon Barkley, you know, with some solid receivers and great O-line, um, they made it in the playoffs. You know, yeah, yeah. What, what can I say? The same thing goes for if you, the, I mean, the Seahawks as well. Yes, Geno Smith had a great season, but so did Kenneth Walker. They've got a solid offensive line, you know, and you, you see a lot of that. So it, it really is hard to hard to say. I think that uh, 
you know, like the Buccaneers, this team has no business being in this, uh, you know, this Monday night game here. Uh, you know, I don't know what the hell they're doing <laughs> in this. I mean, they, they finished eight and nine this season. Uh, the quarterback play has been, you know, subpar. It's just, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of stock that goes into that. And I think because of the big names and the success we've seen over the past couple of years, but you know, you, you may have a point. I, I think as we see this, I mean, look at the 49ers. They are on their third QB this season, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a weird landscape at the moment. Um, you know, and that's probably in, in, one, in one way influenced by the fact that there are some very, very weak divisions. Oh, for sure. But, uh, you know, interesting time in football. It'll be something to watch. Um, anything else you're excited about coming up this week? You know, my primary focus has been sports betting here in Ohio. <laughs> so I'm keeping my eye on uh, on uh, on all the things that are happening out there. Uh, you know, this uh, this upcoming weekend. You know, I've been doing fairly well. You know, I'm on a roll now. I haven't placed a bet here in you know, what uh, three, four days. Yeah, since Monday night. Yeah, so I'm kind of on a roll here. I'm on a little sabbatical, but uh, some good. Uh, you know, uh, men's basketball, some uh, NCAA men's basketball games coming up this weekend. A few good NBA games as well. Um, haven't gotten a chance to look at the uh, Premier League schedule, though. Yeah, yeah. It'll be an interesting week. Uh, it'll also be pretty interesting the next two weeks. It sounds like there are a couple of big, you know, uh, transactions that are going to transpire in the in the Premier League. Uh, so yeah. that'll, be, that'll be something to watch. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Man- Manchester Derby this weekend, uh, Saturday. Definitely. United and City are playing. That'll be a good game. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. And, uh, the, the Wolves in West Ham. I know you're looking at, you're going to be watching that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll be a, that'll be a thriller. <laughs> That's right. That might end up a, a scoreless tie. Yeah, maybe. Although somebody's got to get those three points. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We were talking about, uh, you know, just earlier, you know, we, uh, Chelsea's playing Crystal Palace on Sunday. So, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, how this season's going to look with Chelsea 2-10 uh, and 10 in their last, you know, uh, dozen games. Let's, yeah. let's see what happens. Yeah, you know, that could be a big one. They could end the end the weekend uh, in a much, much more precarious place in the table. Right, exactly. You know, uh, th- this could I'll, be one of those defining games, right? Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of season left, but uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting thing to follow. It's going to be it for us today. You can listen to this episode and every episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at underratedpod. That's at under underscore rated underscore pod. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash underratedpod. Until next time.